Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. We'll open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 28. We're going to be continuing in the story of Paul. I have about half of the notes that I normally do on a Sunday morning because I knew there was going to be so many things going on today. And I'll just be honest with you, we're not going to get to half of what I have in my notes. Because it just felt like there were other issues that were so important. Not more important than the Word of God. In fact, informed by the Word of God. Our response to the issues of our life and this world around us must be, can only be, Settled and determined because of what we see and find and believe in the Holy Scripture and the Word of God is the only unchanging truth to which Christians can anchor their lives. We've been reading the story of Paul in his arrest and subsequent shipwreck and snake bite, stranded on this island of Malta in Acts chapter 28. And yet every moment of that, he keeps turning into an opportunity for ministry. And I think that actually dovetails with what we're talking about this morning All of the pain and suffering and inconvenience that comes into your life is actually an opportunity for ministry. It's an opportunity for living out the gospel and declaring the truth of the gospel. We don't get to know what happened in these three months on Malta. All we get is a three-day snapshot that Luke, the author of Acts, gives us. But we know the life pattern of Paul. And I would ask you, what is the life pattern of you? What's, what's your family's life pattern? Every opportunity, every inconvenience is one more chance to share the gospel. Or when adversity comes, are you the quickest to complain? Are you the quickest to be moved to anger or argument? Or is your life typified by spiritual devotion? What is the pattern of your life? We know Paul's pattern from the New Testament. In fact, as we're going to see here in the next couple weeks, Acts chapter 28, verse 23, immediately following this, in Rome, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying of the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. We see it again and again. You find it in Acts 20 as he's preaching late into the night, and Eutychus falls out the window and dies. You see it in Paul's own testimony of himself in Ephesians 5, verse 16, where he says, make, every, make the most of every opportunity, for these days are evil. We're only given so much time. Make the most of every opportunity we are given because the world in which we are surrounded is evil. Church, I would encourage you, our day is no different. Our day is no darker, and our God is no less able to save We don't know what went on in those three months. We know the fruit of it at the end of this passage that we read together earlier in Acts chapter 28, verse 10, tells us that the people of this island who were previously strangers to him greatly honored them. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. 
That meant he didn't just check out. Like share the gospel for three quick days with them and then I'm going to spend the next three months just sort of recouping for myself. No, he invested time in people. He cared about people. We don't get to know what happened, but we see the fruit of that, that as they are sending him off, they send him with all the provisions. That This was not a passenger ship. Again, they're, they're just hiring on to merchant ships that are sailing. That meant passengers had to bring with them all of the food and all the necessities they were going to need on board. And the people of Malta said, we love you so much. Here's everything you're going to need. He could have spent the last three months complaining. I would just challenge us again. Do we know somebody like that? I mean, maybe you just know somebody. Maybe it's not you. But every time you see them, they tell you the same story of their tragedy, their life difficulties, their raw deal, and their mistreatment. It's like clockwork. You know exactly the comments that are going to trigger them. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor and theologian living during World War II, wrote in his book, Together, Life Together. He said, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no great discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. I would just disagree with Bonhoeffer on one point, and that is I hate the phrase, we hinder God. I think it's actually a fairly unbiblical phrase if Isaiah 14, 27 is accurate. For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? I think a, a better reading of the end of his phrase would be rather, we don't hinder God, we hinder ourselves from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and the riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. Jesus has established his church. It is to be a safe haven in the middle of the storm of this world. A safe haven where you will be continually reminded of the goodness and the sovereignty of God. I had the privilege of talking with Justin and Aaron this week in the midst of heartache and suffering in losing Aaron's mom. And I was talking with Justin, just letting him know, hey, hey we're going to be praying for you. I don't know how some of these specifics are going to work out with some different family issues. And he says, no matter what happens, here's what we both will know. Our God is sovereign and in control. That's what you should be reminded in the middle of your storm. Here's the reality. So often we don't get that from the church because community like that takes time. Gospel community, investing one in another, takes time. We see Paul on this trip. He stops in verse 14 at another city and spends seven days with the brothers there. Christian, I would ask you in the church, do you feel disconnected from the brothers and sisters sitting in this room? Do you feel often alone? And as long as we're challenging you this morning, let's just continue in that pattern and say, that's because gospel community takes time and you're not investing it. You cannot expect that kind of community to grow out of a one and a half hour investment on a Sunday morning. We need to be doing life together, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. 
We see this in the text. He comes to Rome in verse 15. And what happens? The brothers come and find him. In fact, the the two cities that were given, uh, the three taverns is actually 50 miles away. Word arrives that Paul has made it to Rome and they are traveling a long ways. There were no buses or cars to jump in and get there in just an hour or two. Here's what we want on a Sunday morning. We want to show up. I want to have people come looking for me. I want to have people talk to me. I want to have people care about me. Generally, while I sit quietly in the corner and look like I'd rather have no one come talk to me. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes people come and find us. And sometimes, in the midst of our suffering, we have to go looking for those who will strengthen and encourage and challenge us. That's why this word that we see repeated again and again in the New Testament, especially in this passage, is brothers. Did you notice that as we read it? Brothers. These aren't just people you go to church with. In Christ, because we have been joined together in Christ, we are family. Now, now some uh, translations have tried to help us out in our modern age and say brothers and sisters. So I think if you have an NIV, it says brothers and sisters. The original just says brothers. That's because in this day and age, sisters had no right of inheritance. God has not joined us haphazardly as those who some of us are in and some of us are sort of here, but we don't really have an inheritance. No, God has made you men and women, brothers, those with right of inheritance before the King of Kings who has made us his sons and daughters. It is a place of privilege. There's two really short statements that Luke, the author, makes here. Which is strange because they're in the context of a very long narrative of chapter 27 and 28. Verse 14, he says, And so we came to Rome. That's been the object. It's been the goal. It's been where they've been heading. It's not just the object of this ride on this ship. Beginning back in Acts chapter 9 as God called Saul, who would be Paul, to himself. This is where he has been headed. And then verse 15, on seeing them, as the brothers come to him, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. We're not given any other details for these two one-off sentences and statements, but I want you to think with me, O Christian, who has struggled with discouragement. We don't think about Paul as someone struggling with discouragement. We think of him as boldly going where no apostle has gone before. Even on this track of unstoppable mission, Paul evidently felt discouraged. Paul evidently felt anxiety because it was only when the brothers come to him that he takes courage. There's something that happens in the fellowship one with another. That's why we said thanks for coming out in the cold weather, but it's not just thanks for showing up. It's thanks for recognizing that there is something special that happens when the body of Christ gathers that doesn't happen when the body of Christ scatters. Christian, you and I need one another. Here's the reality. If we don't build it in the good times, it won't be there for you in the bad times. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We are racing through this, but we're, we're coming close here. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read, this is a lengthy passage. We're going to read verses 19 to 25, and we're going to read it twice. Can you back up to the slide right before that? Is there another one that has the same passage? 
Maybe not. Yeah, there we go. Here's how we normally view this passage. This passage speaks to our right as sons before God, our right to salvation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, remember in brothers, we're including the ladies in that. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's generally how we think about this passage. Oh, this is an open door. Christian, who has been called and elect by God to come before the throne of God. You were once aliens and strangers. Now you are being brought near. But I want you to see again in the words of this text the togetherness that is in this. Go to that next slide. Let's read this same passage, and I want you to look for every one of these words that doesn't just speak about you, it speaks about us, because we have read this passage wrong. This passage is not about a one-off Christian coming before the Lord, Jesus and my Bible, and that's all I need. No, he says this entrance before God is a group activity. Therefore, brothers, it begins in community, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for, in fact, say these words with me, us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of Our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Church, we can have hope because our God is faithful even when we see individual brothers and sisters wavering. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you. By the way, you talk in plural this much, this you becomes a plural you. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Millard Eckerson said, Christianity is a corporate matter, and the Christian life can be fully realized only in relationship with others. If we're going to win any battles in our life, whether it be personal holiness or cultural wars, it only happens in community. Hear this from Scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Alistair Begg, who's one of my favorite preachers, says this, The New Testament takes it for granted that every Christian, every Christian will join together with other Christians in membership of a local congregation. Indeed, the whole notion of the idea of church only makes sense and only becomes real when God's people are united in the fellowship of the local church. So like I said, we're going at breakneck speed through this, but I want you to pray with me. 
want you to pray with me a prayer that I actually wrote down previously because I felt it was important. God, let us get this right. May God, by his Holy Spirit, bind and join our hearts in deeper unity, fellowship, and mutual dependence on one another. May God's enabling grace cause us to love each other, serve and encourage each other all the more as we see the day drawing near. May Christ be exalted in his church. May the gospel be proven glorious in his church. May our lives be hidden with Christ in the secret place of the Most High as we await the coming of our Savior. Amen. Worship team, if you would come and join me. We're going to do in perfect response to these scriptures on the call for unity and community within the church. What the church has done for centuries, every Lord's Day that they gathered was then gather around the table of the Lord and be reminded why we are joined in community. It's not because of shared interests or hobbies. It's not because we're all of a similar economic stratus. No, we gather at the Lord's table and we remind ourselves that we gather as those whom God has called to himself. That's the beginning point. This does not start with your decision to join a church, but God's decision to call and draw you to himself. And secondly, that our communion with God and with each other is only by the blood of Jesus substituted in our place. Apart from that precious blood, you and I stand rightfully condemned before a holy God. It reminds us that we are joined in fellowship one with another as the body of Christ only because his physical body was broken for us. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 15. He says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of that one bread. It is because the one body of our Lord Jesus was broken for us that we memorialize as we come to these tables. And by the way, it's the same on both sides today. There's bread, there's juice on both sides. It's because of His body, it's because of His blood that in this moment we celebrate our communion. Yes, it is communion one with another, but that's not the main point. That's not actually what we mean when we say communion. We are celebrating our joined communion with God. Do you need the accountability and strength from other brothers and sisters in the local church? The answer, of course, is yes. But even as I call you to greater commitment with other brothers and sisters in the local church, I want to simultaneously remind you that much like marriage, it is just a picture of our union with Christ. It is an incomplete picture. That means your husband, your wife, your brothers and sisters in church will let you down. And yet it points to a greater reality that will never leave you and never forsake you. Psalm 91 does not say, he who hangs out in church the most shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. 
Oh, there's an important connection with the local church. It is vital. It is necessary to the life of believers. But hear me, clearly people can and people will let you down. No, verse 1 in Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter. The King James said the secret place. The hidden place. The Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2, he says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 